Well, good morning. I trust that you are glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. This is indeed the house of the Lord, even if it's Tuesday. Uh, thank you so much for the introduction. Shining, it was very kind of you. As he said, my name is Strong Ruler, and my dear wife, my beautiful better half, fair lady over there, uh, we have uh, three adult children. Uh, our oldest, our daughter, uh, her name is God Has Heard, and her husband, Hill. Uh, we have then two sons, the oldest, uh, Gift of God, uh, is married to Reverberating Sound, and our cute little granddaughter, Star of the Sea. And then our last son, also, gift of God, and, and his uh, delightful wife is strength. About this time you're thinking, gosh, this guy is weird, who let him have a microphone in the stand? That's just bizarre. Names. Names are very interesting. Now, you, you know that names are interesting. Uh, I, I do make things up a little bit. Jennifer's probably worried because I make things up. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a, a fan of uh, soccer, football and also Formula One racing. Uh, and, and a couple weeks ago, uh, there was some kerfuffle because this singer person, and I have no idea, called Megan the Stallion, which I was a bit confused because it was, though was T-H-E, Megan the Stallion, and I was a bit confused because she was a lady. But names, we pick names, and in you know, a North American Western context, we do some creative things with names. We are, we are, you know, as my son calls it, the interwebs. We were on the interwebs uh, a little while back and we came across this thing about names. Uh, and I thought that I was reasonably intelligent, but I really struggled to pronounce this one. It was spelt J-K-M-N. And I struggled with that. You pronounce that, in case you didn't know, that's how you pronounce Noel. No L. True story, somebody named their child J-K-M-N. I, I don't know how they're going to get on in kindergarten. And then there was another one, and it was spelt H-A hyphen A. I struggled with that one as well until I realized that the hyphen is actually a dash, and that is how you spell Hadasha. In <laughs> True story, true story. Now, I, I want to be careful because, you know, my name is, is pretty standard. Uh, some of you uh, have more creative names given to you by your parents. Um, and, and so, you know, names mean stuff. When somebody comes to you, uh, you know, you're sitting there, whatever, and you're in a conversation, what you'd usually need to say to somebody is, hi, I don't believe we've met, my name is. And you expect the other person to respond to you with, my name is. It's how we kind of identify ourselves. There's this Dr. Seuss poem from like a million years ago, about this lady had 23 sons and she named them all Dave. And of course it became a bit of a problem as the program was on because when she calls Dave, all 23 of them come and she says, I wish I had called them. And it goes on as Dr. Seuss poems do. What we find is that in a North American context, our name is our identity. It is who we are and in the case of Noel and Hadasha, I think the parents we're struggling or trying to give their kids a head up in the world where identity can become a thing. 
and they were trying to set them apart from. In our context with our three children, the names have meaning, and we chose them not because we thought they sounded cool, not because they were in their middle names really long, and when they were in trouble, we could really get them, but because it's about identity. In other parts of the world, name is, is different, as, as Mark said, shining. Isn't that cool? And we, we spent a lot of years in the country of Papua New Guinea. Now, Papua New Guinea is a developing nation, as they say, third world in old terms, uh, just north of Australia. It's an island nation. Uh, Wikipedia, and as we heard earlier, there's nothing that's not true on the internet. They say that Papua New Guinea has a population of somewhere between eight and nine million. Now, I was highly confused by the eight and nine million because I have no idea how they would possibly count eight or nine million people, and here's why. So I flew with Mission Aviation Fellowship in Papua New Guinea for 17 years. I covered a lot of miles, flew over a lot of mountains and a lot of jungle. And we would fly over and I'd look out the window and I would see a village down there perched on the edge of a mountain. When I say village, I mean three huts. And there's people living there. And I'm like, there is no way that the Census Bureau came along and asked them how many people were living there. So the eight or nine million is an absolute roll of the dice. There is no way. In the same Wikipedia article, it said 13% of those people live in urban areas. Now again, how they come to 13%, because I don't believe the eight or nine million, but anyway, there's not many that live in urban areas. Wikipedia then says there's 40%, and I have to go to my notes because I have to read this because I thought it was hilarious. 40% live in, are you ready? Self-sustainable natural lifestyle. That's fancy speak for Stone Age subsistence farming. <laughs> you know, hand to mouth, I thought that was just great. Self-sustainable natural lifestyle, that was hilarious. 40%, and again, I don't believe that number either because I think there's at least 70%, and even if you believe the eight million, I think there's 70% that live in a self-sustainable natural lifestyle. Most of those people, they live in places you cannot get to. Okay, you can get to them by an airplane, but there aren't even rivers you can get to, never mind roads or anything else. You could walk for forever. In, uh, for, the, for those massive number of people, whatever it is, life is hard. Okay? Um, death is always near. There's malaria, there's typhoid, there's cholera, there's famine, there's cyclones. Oh yeah, and there's tribal warfare as well. Death is close at all times. Wikipedia also tells me that the infant mortality rate is about 36 per 1,000. Now, that doesn't sound too bad, except in Canada, it's less than four. Uh, you go back 20 years, it was at least 56 in 1,000. Again, I don't believe that number either. You're saying, Richard, you're a pretty disbelieving person. Yes, I'm a disbelieving person. Here's why. So when we were flying in Papua New Guinea, we as an organization, on average, did 500 emergency medical evacuations every year. That's ones where we were called out, specifically go to a jungle location to pick somebody up and bring them to hospital. That means that on average, I did one a week. And that's not including the ones that just got on the airplane because they knew the airplane was going to be here. The vast majority of medevacs that we did were related to birthing complications. In Papua New Guinea, in those self-sustainable natural lifestyle communities, they do not give their children names until they're at least two. Now, I don't even know how they figure out to because they don't really know birth dates and, and, and they count seasons, I guess. 
but you do not get your name until you're at least two years old. The reason you don't get your name at least until you're two years old is because you're probably not going to make it to two years old. In Papua New Guinea, your name is indicative of life. If you don't have a name, it's probably that you won't have life. So if you have a name, it means that you have had or likely to have life. In the biblical context, of course, there are lots and lots of places where you can look at names. The story of Abraham in uh, Genesis chapter 17 and, and surrounding chapters, originally called Abram, uh, his name was changed by God to Abraham at the time of the covenant relationship. So in that biblical context, his name was representative, a reminder of a relationship. Every time somebody said his name, every time Sarah, whose name got changed too, called out to him, hey, Abraham, take out the garbage, he was like, oh yeah, I've got that relationship with God. Every time the servants came to him and said, I don't know how they announced him, Lord Abraham, he was like, oh yeah, that covenant relationship with God was a reminder because there's something about the name. And then you get to Jacob. Jacob, it's a really cool story, isn't it? I would have liked to have been the midwife. No, not really. Jacob comes out holding the heel of Esau. I showed the nurses. Is, is, is that even possible? I mean, I guess it is because the Bible says it was. So he comes out like that close. And so they call him Jacob, the grasper, because he's holding on. And as you read through, as you have no doubt done in your Torah class, you have read through, and man, that is so descriptive, definitive of who that man was in his first part of his life, right? Always grasping, attaining, seeking, striving for something. Did he live up to his name, or did the person who gave him his name, but he was grasping. Even up to the point where his name was changed, right? So he's wrestling with God, and he won't let go until morning, and the, the, the reaches out and touches his hip, and he's lame, and he gets his name changed from Jacob to Israel. And so every time somebody would say to him, hey, Israel, he'd be reminded that he was a new person, a changed person. He was no longer the grasper looking for whatever he could attain in life. He had this new and different relationship with the Almighty. Of course, it's not just the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament too, and, and a different story again there. You've got John the Baptist coming up to Christmas, right? John the Baptist. So there's his, his uh, father, Zechariah, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 63, and thereabout. Uh, the angel comes to Zechariah and says, you're going to call your, your, your wife as is with a child, and you're going to have a son, you shall call him John. And after that meeting with the angel, Zechariah can't say a word, he's speechless. Like, literally, he, wasn't, he couldn't speak. And he couldn't speak until when? Well, looking forward, when was it? Well, John the Baptist, John, is born, and the relatives are all saying to Elizabeth, what are you going to call him? And she says, call him John. And they're like, lady... What have you been smoking? You don't have any relatives called John. Why would you call him John? You're supposed to call him something. 
And they say, get the dad, get the man, because we don't believe the lady, get the man. And so they drag Zachariah in, who can't speak. We were reading this the other day, and it says he can't speak, but they made signs to him. So it's like, does that mean he can't hear either? Anyway. So they made signs to him, and he says, no, his name is John. And instantly he can speak again. An indication, perhaps, as the pronouncement of the name, an indication of obedience, perhaps an indication of the presence of God. Can you imagine every time you called out to John, you'd go, man, that was so cool when the angel came to visit? Because names are important. Then, of course, one of my favorite stories, Peter. Uh, In Matthew chapter 16, his name was Simon And then his name is changed. And the story, if you don't remember, the story is there, and Jesus is saying to the disciples, so who do people say that I am? Oh, Elijah, or maybe one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to the disciples, he says, but you, who do you say that I am? And Peter, as only Peter could do, pronounces with absolute certainty, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds, O Simon, you shall be called Peter, for on this rock I will build my church. On this rock, this rock of confession, this rock of the son of the living God. And every time then that Peter was called by his name, he could not help but remember the time when Christ said, yes, that is who I am when he could not help but remember that point in time where he had come to the realization that this person with whom he'd been walking around, this person for whom he had left his boats and his fishing nets and everything, that this was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. What's in a name? What's in a name? And so we come to the name of Jesus. Now I have to tell you, as a kid... I was always under the assumption there was one. There was Jesus, and there was only Jesus. That nobody else had this name. You know, we'll talk about later how God came and said, and you will call his name Jesus. And I thought this was unique and this was amazing until I figured out that it wasn't. There's this soccer player now, Gabriel Jesus. Very Christian name, I'm not sure what it's actually like, but. And then, and then, you know, then there was the, the other one that they released so Jesus could be crucified, Jesus Barabbas. And you're like, ugh. So Jesus, apparently, the name at least, isn't unique. And yet, and yet, it must be. Well, why must it be? Because we will stand at the end and we will say, Lord, thank you so much for coming to us. In the name of Jesus, we say. Well, certainly not that soccer player, not in his name. Which Jesus are we talking about? We're talking about the Jesus. Well, yeah, but how do we separate the Jesus? We sing those songs. There is power in the name of Jesus. But it can't just be about those letters. J-E-S-U-S. It's fun in New Guinea. You can walk down the street on a Sunday and and the charismatic church is, give me a J, give me an E, give me an S, give me a U, Jesus! Because there's something about the name, but it's just a name. It's just five letters in a row. What can be the thing about that? It's got to be important somehow. How do we know it's got to be important? Matthew chapter 1, 
verses 20 and 23. Uh, this is Christmas time, right? So we all know this one. Uh, this is uh, when Joseph, uh, the, the angel comes to Joseph and he says, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, name's important, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He didn't say you're to give him the name Richard. He didn't say you're to give him the name Charles. He didn't say you're to give him the name Ananias. He said you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Because he will save his people from their sins. And then you read the next version. This is where it gets even more confusing. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. I thought they were going to call him Jesus. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we've got this person, this baby, and we're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And we're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if we go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we find this. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he will be called. Apparently, God thought the name was important. He didn't just leave it up to, Jesus and, uh, to Joseph and Mary to decide what to call their son. They didn't just get to be called Joseph II, Joseph Jr. He said, no, you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You will call him Emmanuel because he is God with us. You will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace because his name will mean something hugely important. Which brings us to Acts. The book of Acts, chapter two. Actually, let's, yeah, let's do that. Book of Acts, chapter three, verses one to 10. Now in my day, Sunday school was a thing. You sent your kids off to Sunday school and there was the children's song. And I won't dare try and sing. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms, and this is what Peter did say. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. You ever been there? Walking down the street, pulling up to the traffic lights, and the person's there saying, can you spare some change? Can you help me? Can you, can you, can you? But Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Strange thing to say. I can't imagine that. There I am walking downtown, this down, downtown Calgary or something. There's somebody sitting there, and the man says, hey, can you help me? And I say, look at me. Peter says, look, so the man does. So the man gave them his attention. 
expecting to get something from them. Little did he know. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping, I was going to sing the song, walking and leaping and praising God. Peter says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up. He doesn't say to him, dude, if you show up at the hospital, I know this great surgeon who can fix you up. He didn't say, if you go to the office on the corner, there's a physio and she'll sort you out. He didn't say, wait, let me pull out my wand, abracadabra, it's all cool. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk, and the man is healed. In the name of Jesus. How does that work? How does that work? Just a, a, a flipping through here. Now Mark chapter 16, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well, all in the name of Jesus. How does that work? In the name of Jesus. I think what we have to remember, right, is that it's what the name represents. It's what we're saying. It's like we're almost getting a bit of a short form, right? In the name of the Jesus and everything that is entailed with that. So I am the chief flight instructor at Prairie Aviation. There is authority that is delegated to me from the government. And then I delegate that authority on to other people in Prairie Aviation. And there are times when they will say things, do things, and sign things under the authority of the chief flight instructor. We have a form of the sign. It says CFI, chief flight instructor or delegate. They sign in my name. Now, my power is pretty weak because I can't make people walk again. Certain things I can do, but the name is representative. Please understand this. In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, we find identity as children of the everlasting Father. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we find eternal life. In the name of Jesus, we find wisdom through our wonderful counselor. In the name of Jesus, the Christ, we experience miracles through the power of the mighty God. In the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we find our salvation. In the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, we find the presence of God. The name of Jesus, the Jesus, encompasses so much more than we can possibly ask or imagine. He is wonderful, he is counselor, he is mighty God, he is everlasting father, he is prince of peace, he is God with us. He will save us from our sins. He is so much more than we can possibly ever ask or imagine. The name of Jesus is beyond what we can possibly consider. And in the name of Jesus, with belief. Mountains can be moved. Demons can be cast out. The sick can be healed. The dead can be raised in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
Could I tell you to put up my photo? I brought one photo. I, I don't use much graphic. This is my favorite photo of all time. I love this picture. It hangs on the wall in our house. I love this picture. My dad took this picture, but I love this picture. Uh, that's me and my beautiful Jennifer and the dog that we had in New Guinea, Kodiak. She was cross Doberman Rottweiler. She was quite the thing. You can see the footprints in the sand. This is us in paradise. Gosh, it was a struggle being a missionary there. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> huh. I love that picture. It just, it just, so much is encapsulated in that picture. But the thing about that picture that I like in this context is the footprints. Now, some of you may have run into this poem. Some of you may have not. Uh, the keychain that holds the key to my garage has this on it. The poem Footprints. One night, I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. We've been going through a series the last few weeks, Journeying with Jesus. For some of you, your journey over the last weeks has been difficult. For some of you, your journey over the last weeks has seemed relatively straightforward. For some of you, as you look back on your life, you see that there have been troubling and trying times, hard miles in those last few years. Some of you perhaps less so. I think most of us can look back as did the person in the poem, and see low and sad times. Every day, when we get up, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Today, will I journey alone, or will I journey with Jesus? Today, in this moment, Will I have a traveling companion or not? Who will that traveling companion be? In New Guinean churches, you can find a poster that's on the wall, and it's a very graphic, descriptive picture of the narrow road and the wide road which leads to destruction. 
as you travel, which road will you choose and who will you travel to journey with? I think perhaps if you ponder on the name of Jesus, the answer as to what you want to do will become obvious. Because would you rather travel through those low points, travel those hard miles by yourself, or would you really rather travel with Jesus, the Jesus, the Jesus in whose name we find identity as children of the everlasting Father? Would you rather travel with the Jesus, our Savior, in whom we find eternal life? Would you rather travel with Jesus, who provides wisdom and counseling? Would you rather travel with the Jesus, Jesus the Christ, who is able to overcome the wind and the waves, who is able to overcome death and destruction? Would you rather travel with Jesus, the Prince of Peace? Would you rather travel with Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us? What's in a name? It's interesting, there's an old movie, well not old, but older movie. I think it's called The Kingdom of Heaven. It's probably not a very nice movie, lots of stuff in there. It's about uh, the Crusades, and it's about the taking of Jerusalem. Uh, and at the final scene, you've got the leader of, of the one side. Um, I always thought his name was Saladin, but Salahadin. And he says to the, the Christian, uh, sorry, the Christian says to Salahadin, he says, what's so important about Jerusalem? And Salahadin says, nothing and everything. What's so important about the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S? -S? Nothing and absolutely everything. We're at the end of the semester. It's not the end of life. It's not the end of everything. But it is the end of a period. An opportunity perhaps to reflect back and to reflect forward. And as you ponder the choice, as you look back on your life in the future, when you look back on your life and you see there is but one set of footprints in the sand, do you want that set of footprints to be yours, or do you want that set of footprints to be Jesus, who will carry you through those hard times and will sustain you and be your joy in the good times? Do you want to travel alone or with Jesus, the Jesus, God with us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege that we have to speak freely, the privilege that we have to gather in this place, to open your word, to listen for you to speaking to us. We thank you that we are able to speak in the name of Jesus. And all that that means, all the power and all the promise that is included in that simple little phrase, in the name of Jesus the Christ, God with us. Oh Lord, as we travel forward, help us to remember that you are there. You will never leave us or forsake us. And that when times are tough, 
you will carry us. Oh, there's nobody better. Lord, as we finish up this period of life before Christmas time, and as we pause for a break before resuming whatever that looks like, and as we look forward into the future to whatever life may hold, oh God, help us to hold on to you. Jesus. Jesus. It is in your name, with everything that is wound up in your name, that we pray these things. Amen.